0: Good afternoon, you are listening to Resonance 104.4 and this is Art Event and Now with me, your host, Anna Gammons. This is the show where we explore art from the past and art from the present to understand how we as humans have expressed ourselves through time. Our theme this week is Into the Night, which is the name of the Barbican's current exhibition Into the Night, Cabarets and Clubs in Modern Art. And I have had the express pleasure of interviewing creator of the exhibition, Florence Ostende But before you guys get to hear that, I want to talk a little bit about one of the most famous artists to capture the exciting nightlife of the cabaret scenes in Paris, none other than Mr. Toulouse-Lautrec. When I say Toulouse-Lautrec, you're probably thinking about the bold Parisian posters and illustration of can-can girls. But actually, Lautrec was also a beautiful oil painter too. And some of his most accomplished pieces describe the underground creative hubs of the cabaret clubs, such as the infamous Moulin Rouge. So you can see why I paired these two things together. Um, Lautrec is also part of the exhibition, which um, I mentioned earlier, Into the Night Cabaret's Clubs in Modern Art by the Bar. Barbican. but just to tell you a little bit more about Lautrec or to quote his full name get ready Henri, which you know I'm gonna say Henry from now on because uh, my my English accent is gonna uh, is gonna ruin it but Henry Marie Raymond de Toulouse Lautrec Monfa is his full name it's a bit of a mouthful so from here on out he will be referred to as Lautrec He was born in 1864 in the mid-Pyrenees region of France, but he was not a healthy child. And this is perhaps due, people think, to a genetic condition which was inherited from his parents, who were first cousins. Uh, Bit dodge. So uh, that could explain why he, when he broke both of his legs in his early teenage years, they didn't actually heal properly. And so he sort of developed this um, uh, kind of difficulties physically and they say he only reached about four foot eight inches due to this condition when he had an adult sized torso and comparatively smaller legs too so it's thought that his talents in art were somewhat nurtured by the fact that he found it difficult to participate in physical activities and became sort of a bit inward um, with himself and you know gave us sort of the beautiful artwork that we know and love today but very very um importantly at the age of 8 after his younger brother died sadly he went to live in paris with his mother and this is where he was exposed to the intoxicating new world of paris um and as i said before this is so this is a time in the 1800s and early 1900s where paris was changing very very fast there was radical industrialization of europe and this had huge consequences with kind of, you know, not just industry, but also with social mobilisation too. So this also meant the rise in clubs and bars and more theatrical entertainment and essentially the beginning of modern life in Paris. So this is what he's exposed to at a young age. And he, he does eventually go back to France, but, um, sorry, back to um, where he's originally from, the Pyrenees. And then he comes back to Paris because he just can't keep away. Um, and if you've ever been to Paris, I'm sure you can see why. But he settles eventually in Montmartre, where, um, is home to the Moulin Rouge which I'm sure that you guys most of you listening will have heard from But it, it's, it will have heard from but it's also the setting of where a lot of artists, writers and philosophers also made their home because of kind of this buzzing scene that was happening around this area. And Lautrec really, really immersed himself in the vivid and flamboyant lifestyle there in Montmarche. And as a result, he produced the provocative and beautiful imagery of his surroundings that we know and love. So one of probably the most famous posters called Moulin Rouge La Goule is... A really, really iconic Lutrec piece. And I'm sure if you Google toulouse Lautrec, this is what's going to come up. This is probably the most recognisable of all of his pieces. But it's a colour lithograph made in 1891. And there's probably about 3,000 copies but it's supposed to advertising the famous can-can dancer La Goule, and also uh, quote No Bones Valentin, another dancer who was known for her uh, flexibility. But they're both at the Moulin Rouge. So, what's so iconic about this poster is those bold lines, and what immediately grabs your attention is that black and yellow and red color scheme. Really, really bold. The shapes are very simple, and they're very deliberate. And you can kind of, from the silhouette background as well, from the audience to the main man in grey at the front, and also the dancer herself, Lagoule, who's very much central in the image. But it stands out from the other posters of the time, which were very, very text heavy. And these are just really, really bold and iconic um, silhouettes and shapes, and also meant to emulate the fashionable Japanese style of art at the time, that used very bold silhouettes in this kind of outlined form. So, the Moulin Rouge itself had opened in 1889 and was very much known for its risque performances uh, with dancers who, as I said, were known for their flexibility. And it was often said that policemen would go to uh, the, the kind of the Moulin Rouge to check that the dancers were wearing underwear, which um, I thought was hilarious uh, to make sure it was all above board. But the poster for the club was actually originally designed by somebody else, um, a guy named Jules Chirap. But actually, I think the the club owners decided that it wasn't quite vibrant enough or this poster wasn't vibrant enough to kind of advertise the Moulin Rouge. So in got brought Mr. Lutrec, who gave us this kind of really bold and, you know, a bit risky. You know, she's lifting up her leg in the image and you sort of, um, there's implications there. So, yeah, really, really iconic, iconic image, a very, very... Um, interesting representation of the nightlife and the clubs that were um, very familiar to Lautrec at the time in Paris and specifically in Montmartre. Now there's another painting I mentioned at the beginning. He's not just uh, a printmaker but also a very very talented oil painter too. So At the Moulin Rouge is a painting which is again of this same club but a very sort of different take. It was painted somewhere between 1892 and 1895 but it still captures this really vibrant environment of cabarets and clubs at the time. It is one of many studies of the club by Lutrec and What's going on in the images is sort of like a bustly, perhaps end of the night sort of scene, but there are three men and one woman sitting around a table in the middle of the club and there are others on the outskirts too. Now the people have been identified as various photographers and, uh, well in fact quite a few photographers including Edward Dajun and, and there's also a dancer called La Macarona and also uh, La Goule herself, the the lady I mentioned from the original poster, Moulin Rouge, La Girl, she's also in this image too. I'm going to talk about her a little bit later because she's a, she's in really interestingly portrayed in this image. But Lutrex also painted himself into the image at the centre-left of the piece and to me when artists do this it's often i think them sort of trying to associate themselves with certain things a certain lifestyle to kind of immortalize themselves but portrayed in a specific way looking a certain way and doing certain things so his use of color here is is kind of the main thing i would really want to talk about because it's so interesting and it's really really kind of takes fold or take well it's the main part of the image i'm talking about here is the bottom right hand corner if you've got the image in front of you or you happen to know it you'll know exactly what i'm talking about here because there's this bright and distorted light we see the lady's face is completely lit up and she's got a turquoise face and yellow hair but there's something really special about this bold and dramatic coloring that makes us feel like it's stage lighting and sort of gives a you know a context to the setting of this painting you know it looks like where it looks like a staging a set of a stage there's electric lights which were also very new to the Moulin Rouge at the time as well but there's a full frontal almost sort of grotesque image of this woman where her features look very strange um, because of such violent lighting which I thought was really, really interesting and very reminiscent of Degas' work as well in the post-Impressionist period where you've got this turquoise which is juxtaposed against the oranges which are opposite on the colour wheel and it gives this painting a vivacity and adds to that excitement of the scene as well. Also worth pointing out, the balustrade too which is in the foreground, it takes up quite a lot of the painting itself but it's actually used as a sort of clever device by Lutrec compositionally to give it gives the painting balance for a start because it's sort of bold forms with bold colour a sort of balanced. you've got the bottom right hand corner with the turquoise face I mentioned (laughs) and then you've got the balustrade in the bottom left hand corner both of them sort of balance each other out but also used as a device to lead our eye into the hustle and bustle of the scene because it's a balustrade that works diagonally so really really draws the viewer in and it's also interestingly a physical divider between us as the audience and the world that we see before us the world that Lautrec is almost tempting us to be a part of and a a world that he wants to be a part of and is a part of and a world that he sort of wants us to be a part of as well or, you know, perhaps look on longingly um, to this world. But Lautrec was very much a product of the lifestyle that he loved to portray. But unfortunately, the mental health challenges that he did deal with because of his physical stature presented to him caused him to drink too much essentially and for many many brothels as I said he's very much part of this lifestyle but it was this unhealthy lifestyle that led to his death in 1901 too so a very very interesting story about clubs about the kind of underbelly of Paris at the time and Lautrec himself but you know, he he had a lot of success while he was alive too, but had much more success after his death, as with most artists. It's very sad. But in 2005, at Christie's, his painting La Blanche Sous, which is of a, a, a young laundress, sold for $22.4 million, which is £17.2 million, pounds, as I said, at Christie's, which set a new record for the artist. So a very sort of sad story in some respects, but... um. You know, also very, very, did very, very well for himself at the end. Good afternoon, you are listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Art Then and Now. I hope you enjoyed my little insight into the French artist Toulouse-Lautrec, but it is now time for my interview with Florence Ostend, who is curator of the exhibition Into the Night, Cabarets and Clubs in Modern Art, currently showing at the Barbican until the 19th of January. We're actually live at the Barbican for this interview, so there is a little bit of a hustle and bustle in the background, but I suppose this is quite appropriate for the exhibition itself, which is about social spaces Uh, So here we go. Here's Florence and our interview at the Barbican. Enjoy. Auxland, curator of the Barbican's exhibition, Into the Night, Cabarets and Clubs in Modern Art. Hi, Florence. Hello, Anna. Um, Congratulations on this exhibition. It's really wonderful. I found it very intoxicating uh, being in here. It's sort of an expose on the gritty and exciting world of cabaret and creative thinking so it's the first major show of this theme and it stands from the 1880s to the 1960s and you're partnered with the Belvedere in Vienna. So how did this exhibition come about? This exhibition
1: um, entitled Into the Night Cabarets and Clubs in Modern Art came out of a need to see another form, another kind of art that uh, we very rarely see in museums and that kind of uh, is an art that emerged out of cabarets and clubs mm-hmm. and social spaces where artists would meet, gather, discuss and debate uh, uh, mm-hmm. new cultural developments, uh, art, and also thinking about new forms of uh, collaborative authorships. Uh, we wanted to investigate how uh, new forms, new languages emerged out of these social spaces. Sometimes, very often in reaction to historical events.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, There was a quote which I loved, it was uh, to offer an alternative history of modern art. I thought this was really, really interesting, is that sort of, that you sort of briefly touched upon that, but to sort of offer almost an expose of what we, art we have not really seen before in this way. It's
1: exactly the uh, ambition of the exhibition is to retrace this alternative history, uh, not only through uh, the fact that the exhibition is a journey around the world, mm-hmm. uh, 12 cities from Paris to Mexico to Tehran to yeah. Rome, but also because we are exhibiting artists uh, which are seldom uh, you know, seen or exhibited, especially in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is really how we conceive the, the journey within the exhibition, how, uh, you know, very often, modern art is seen from the perspectives of cities like Paris, or London or New York, yes. but how it could be about Mexico and Tehran yes. and Adam and Chocco. This is very Absolutely. much what made um, the uh, journey of the exhibition so fascinating is to be able to
0: bring those scenes together
1: and a new narrative around
0: the avant garde. Absolutely. I think um, when I think about clubs and cabarets, I do tend to have a very Eurocentric view of what that means. And I loved the fact that there was inclusion of clubs and bars in South America, and Africa, Nigeria. Um, the masks in Mexico had a really vibrant feel to them. What was the importance of being so global with this exhibition for you?
1: Um, it was very important because. Um, those cabarets and clubs very often emerged because um, they were inspired or influenced by other clubs happening in other cities. Yes. Uh, the Cave of the Golden Path in London was uh, very much influenced by uh, the Chanois in Paris, mm. uh, or the Cabaret Fledermaus in Vienna was also influenced by the Chanois. Yeah. So there was really a dialogue, uh, implicit dialogue between these clubs. And it felt that there was so much more to this mapping that could be done in terms of trying to go beyond the usual cities of Berlin, Paris, New York, but exploring uh, another kind of, uh, um, of of geographical landscape. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the Mumbari Club in Ibadan is a very good example of. Um, a, Fascinating laboratory that emerged in 1961 after uh, Nigeria um, broke from the colonial British rule in 1960. The club was um, a, a thinking space for writers, poets, uh, painters. It was a publishing imprint. They produced a lot of books, poetry, and plays. Um, but they also organized a lot of workshop where artists would be able to make work for the first time. It was really a vibrant space and most importantly, the typology of the space is very interesting. A lot of the time you think about cabaret and clubs are being very secluded or hidden, but the Mumbai Club was a very open space. It, was, um, uh, it took place in the middle of the city, in a very busy uh, city in the central market. And it was in a courtyard where open-air performance were taking place. There was a gallery and workshop. So the typology of space is very interesting and very different from, for instance, the basement of the Cabaret Mouse, which has the very like, kind of, yes, uh, you know, almost an idea of
0: secret or mystery. Yes, absolutely. That's a great way of saying yeah. it. I loved that each room was sort of dedicated to a city, as it were, the 12 cities that we've been talking about. What was your kind of curatorial decision on that?
1: Um, I think, you know, when you have a subject that is as rich as cabaret and clubs, mm. and when I started the project with a team, you know, hundreds of clubs could mm. have been part of this show. So. It was just an endless uh, research and I felt the structure of city would give a clear journey to the visitor. Mm-hmm. It would help structuring the exhibition, it would give it a rhythm, mm-hmm. but it would also allow for very strong contrast and atmospheres mm-hmm. uh, between each rooms. As you can see, each time the display, the colours, the design is different. Absolutely. We yeah. played with the contrast between the artwork, upstairs and the recreations downstairs. So mm-hmm. it was really important that given the theme, and given the scarcity of material, and given sometimes it relies a lot on archive, we had to translate that uh, art into something that would feel really vibrant and very intense through the journey. And the structure per City was giving it really um, the idea of most of a, you know, making you feel you were travelling
0: around the world, making you feel you are in That's exactly how it felt for me. And making
1: it feel alive. I think one of the challenge as a curator is to make people excited about history mm-hmm. and making it revealed in a different way, mm-hmm. making it um, feel alive, really. Absolutely.
0: I love the fact that the, ex- the exhibition covered seemingly all mediums here. You've got dance, you've got theatre, you've got film, you've got paintings, you've got sculptures. Uh, was it really really important to you to kind of well, be really multimedia with, with the exhibition?
1: I really wanted to share with the audience what is my favorite thing about art mm. is that it is constantly breaking boundaries. It is much more than just a medium, much more than just um, one way of seeing the world. It has a variety and a diversity. The, uh, the art of illustrators is very important. Um, the role of Jeanne Mammen in Berlin in the 20s and 30s uh, was very important. She's a crucial female artist of the time. She documented uh, the activities of the nightlife scene and she was also uh, an illustrator for the magazines. And being able to celebrate her as an artist and as an illustrator um, uh, at the same level, I would say, is yeah, something yeah. very important, yeah. yes. and also celebrate the archive, the ephemeral, ephemera, the newspapers, all the things mm-hmm. that sometimes we left aside, postcards or or smaller elements that we mm-hmm. don't think are as you know precious or that don't have the same impact as you know big yeah, painting. painting. Yeah. It's it's something that was. Really important in terms of celebrating and preserving the memory of these spaces and the artists. Mm, I
0: love that. And I think the overall effect is that it becomes a very immersive experience um, for the viewer as well. And it is a very interactive, uh, I would say, exhibition in, in terms of the, the spaces you've created. You've got the room which is called the, the Cabaret in Fledermas in Vienna. It's a completely tiled room that you can walk through. Uh, what was the thinking behind creating these spaces for us to uh, experience? The challenge of doing an exhibition about
1: cabres and clubs is obviously the fact that a lot of these spaces don't exist anymore, so when you are working as a curator and you are thinking about how to translate these ideas and these works into an exhibition form, you need to think about what's going to be the experience of the viewer. You need to think about how the body and how the exhibition is a physical space the same way these spaces were physical spaces. So, we embarked on a crazy sort of journey, you know, (laughs) of trying to recreate those spaces. Yeah, yeah. And it felt really like... um, you know, a mountain to mm-hmm. climb. We worked very closely with the University of Applied Arts in Vienna to recreate the Feldmaus bar. Yes, they worked with, you know, just two small evidence, a small photograph and a small postcard, and and then out of these two small documents, they were able to uh, recreate all the tiles that you see in the well. bar. Really it's just amazing, an incredible thing. I just wanted us to feel. Mm-hmm. Ad- you know, in a way, those are recreation. They're not replicas, so they're not trying to imitate exactly what it was to be in these clubs and trying to replicate the atmosphere. But they, there is an attempt to um, to create another reality than just the one of the exhibition, where you yeah. see them just the work on the wall. Something that's trying to make it more immersive and also trying to celebrate. The architectural vision, the vision behind the design—something that's much more physical—and sometimes it's difficult to grasp yeah, when yeah. you're just seeing, you know, yeah. the floor plan of Lobetz. Yeah, absolutely, it's, yeah. it's an amazing piece. It's, a, it's really one of the most incredible loans we have in the exhibition. But being able to recreate uh, the Cinebal by this book is
0: just um, uh, an incredible achievement. Mm-hmm. And of course, it must have felt at the time like a, almost like a sensory overload. And I think that. The fact that it's multimedia, the fact that you can hear music playing, really, really adds to that experience for us as well. And I wanted to briefly touch upon the fact that this is all—all all of this kind of um, all of this culture, this sort of bubbling of creativity—is happening in a post-war society. What do you think the importance was of these clubs during that time, uh, and having that space, that uniting creative space?
1: I think. Um, well, in retrospect it's easy to say that it was very important because that's how history remembers them mm. it's sometimes much more difficult to actually understand the how you know how well known these places were mm. um, the chanois for instance is a good example of a club that became extremely iconic um, that is often remembered as being the very first artistic cabaret um, and a few years after we opened it became extremely popular. Mm. Uh, extremely popular because uh, a new form of entertainment emerged, the Shadow Theatre by Henri Riviere uh, was performed every evening in the Chanoir. and that is really what made it such a popular um, venue is because um, it was really a a sort of meeting point between
0: the audience and the
1: art, Mm -hmm. you know, I think very often in museums we feel that we are close to the art but Mm. not so close to the artist Mm -hmm. and maybe cabras and clubs were places where you could meet the artist
0: where you know you could have a direct it was an intimate venues as well really uh intimacy the intimacy was so you feel that you feel that here completely um Absolutely, I really love that. Um, I, I thought one thing that was really important—it kind of this exhibition highlights the spirit of experimentation, collaboration between artists. Um, that's a quote from the press release. It feels like the whole exhibition is sort of countries coming together. And I really liked uh, in sort of this melting pot of creativity. Do you think that exposing artwork from the past in the present gives it a different significance? Do you think it's particularly relevant now that we we have this exhibition?
1: I think it's very relevant because what I'm hoping visitors can take from the exhibition is really how we are thinking about social space today, how we're thinking about the public space we occupy, how um, in a way at a time where I think we are constantly thinking and hearing about frontiers and boundaries and and the role of different countries within that realm, we uh, more than ever have a sense of Thinking how these connections between countries are were possible and are still being mm-hmm. possible. So I think there's there's a lot to be taken from the exhibition, but also um, how you know the need and the importance of having physical spaces mm-hmm. for encounters, a place where generally uh, a space of conversation and a space of debate mm-hmm. is possible. Mm-hmm. And I think this
0: is really what the art we have in the exhibition is celebrating. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and so that's the take we hope that your viewership will take from this, is that it is a, it's a collaborative um, exercise, it's, you know, a melting pot of creativity, we live in such amazing cities that have such amazing ideas and hopefully there's a real rejuvenation of that kind of concept. Well, a massive congratulations on this wonderful exhibition. Thank you, and you can see uh, this exhibition until the 19th of January here at the Barbican. Thank you so much for talking to me, Florence, it's been a pleasure. So that was my interview with Florence Ostend. Again, sorry about the sound quality. We were in the Barbican at the time, but uh, but you get the idea that it's a very bustly space. And uh, yeah, I, I guess suitable for what we're talking about, which is cabaret and social spaces. Um, but the exhibition takes you on a complete journey. I really, really, really enjoy going. Um, it's it, There's not just kind of Paris and London, as you might expect, but it takes you a ho- on a whole journey through an array of cities, including there's New York, Tehran, London, Paris, Mexico city berlin vienna aberdan and it's it's really kind of unusual to see so many different spaces um that were all kind of coming to life in in one place and i really really loved that it was very multicultural it felt very inclusive it was it was a really lovely exhibition but it also showed each each different room and each different space showed how each city contributed to the contemporary avant-garde movement through its clubs and cabaret scenes and it was really as i said a really lovely experience as well there were over 350 works which are rarely seen in the uk and that wasn't just paintings that was drawings and prints and photographs and films as well and a lot of archive material as well but i might one of my favorite things to see was the chanoir which i hate saying because it's one of the pieces you probably most obviously associate with this kind of an exhibition and I'd really love to be a bit more niche but um, I really enjoyed seeing it. It's it's the poster by Theophile Steinlin in 1896 but I loved seeing an actual print of it because it's been hanging on my bathroom wall in my family home for about 20 years now. My mum is a huge fan of French culture and design and It was lovely seeing it in the flesh, as it were. There was also incredible imagery of an American dancer called Loy Fuller, who created a whole new effect in dance by using silk material in these clubs. It became known as the Serpentine Dance as well, really, really famous. Really, really interesting as well to see how culture evolved through through time and through these spaces. And it is really, really immersive too. One of my favourite things about exhibitions is when you can really feel that like you are being completely absorbed into them and immersive spaces are a really great way to do that but the iconic cabaret bar Fleur de Mars in Vienna which is covered in mosaic tiles was recreated as well for the audience to see and walk through which was absolutely fantastic. I had a really great time doing that and as I mentioned when speaking to Florence the best part of this exhibition was how it felt like at the point between eighteen eighty and then and the nineteen sixties, which is, you know, the time span for this, so many different cultures were having these alternative creative underground explosions of sort of singing and dancing and Latrec really, really cleverly you know, emulates this in his work, but it was really interesting to see it on so many different levels and in so many different ways as well. Definitely an exhibition I recommend. Absolutely go and see it if you have time. And once again, it is called Into the Night: Cabarets and Clubs in Modern Art, until the nineteenth of January at the Barbican. I never promote anything I wouldn't want to go and see myself or haven't been to see myself. So you know, you can have it on good authority. It is a really fantastic exhibition as well. That is unfortunately, all oh, we've got time for this afternoon thank you very much for listening to art then and now with me anna gammons if you want to look at any of the images discussed on this week's show or to contact me please visit the facebook site at the art then and now show and i guess i'll see you next week at 3 30 on resonance 104.4 fm bye until then